Welcome everyone to Black Coffee and Theology. Okay, party people, this is part two of our conversation, my conversation with Pastor Lamar Hardwick. And whew, I hope y'all are enjoying something that I didn't note in part one is something that we reference here is uh, a New York Times opinion article by a theologian. Y'all can look it up. And it was about um, it, it was about moving forward as a church and essentially leaving part of it was talking about leaving um, certain aspects of the church uh, behind. And so you can enjoy that in our conversation. Uh, so yes, so again, here is Pastor Lamar Hardwick as we talk about disability in the church. Sit back and relax, y'all. And so we build little kingdoms of that now where we push out what is not perfect, um, you know, and so we, whatever those things that we want eternally, we don't have time for, we don't make space for, we don't consult the wisdom of mm -hmm. because it's not perfect. It's not the ideal. It's not what we deem beautiful or wise, exactly. you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I like to, tell people that it's interesting you know so so a lot of that work on the post-resurrection jesus and i'm continuing um talking about that in my new book but i'm talking okay more, yes i'm talking more specifically it'll be a while because i'm writing and doing research but i'm talking more specifically about the connection between that and blackness oh yeah um, don't tell me that <laughs> yeah so, so i'm really going to dig into uh ableism and race and the ways that the church but but one of the things i tell people is that it's interesting that um jesus reverses death but he doesn't reverse the disabling marks right and i even go in the book about you know studying a roman crucifixion and what would have happened to his body um and and so it seems to be an intentional choice is what i'm getting at um because how can you have a god who reverses death which is resurrection and doesn't use the same supernatural ability to reverse the things that yeah right and you're so right, right. so for me it has it has to be an intentional choice right and that the reason why i talk so much about the post-resurrection Jesus is because it, it appears to be an intentional choice and it is the way in which Jesus chooses to identify himself post-resurrection. This is how you're going to know who I am because I retained these disabling marks. And again, if they're, if they're not healed, then we know what it would have done to his body, right? But that's an intentional choice. And what I found, and even this new research, is that I asked myself, why don't we see that? Just like, so I'm even looking like in early, you know, Western Christian 
artwork and music and how it's represented in culture. And it's not an overwhelmingly represented part of our theology, right? And so the only thing I was left to conclude is, is that, and I think I may have said this on a tweet, like we're so ableist and, and much of this work too is built on Nancy Eastland's The Disabled God. So I asked people to read that. She's the one who kind of just like a seminal text for disability theology. Um, but, but what I asked myself is, why is it that we're so, why, are we, why do we reject that so much? Why is that not something that we talk about? Why doesn't it show up in a lot of early Christian artwork and song? And it's not, it doesn't have a huge influence. And the only thing I could come up with is that, like, we're so ableist, we even discriminate against God, right? We don't <laughs> want to see Jesus. We don't want to see Jesus that way. We don't want to have a God whose body is not perfect. We don't want to have God who remains, you know, who retains the same body, um, that includes the wounds. Remember, he says, put your hand into this wound, right? So this is serious stuff. Mm-hmm. Why reverse death and retain that? And even though we know that we could read that, we tend to reject that notion. It shows up in the way that we, in the artwork, it shows up in the songs. And there's a few songs, but for the most part, culturally in the West, we've rejected that whole idea. And what I, the conclusion I came to was, we don't want to to have an image of a God like that, right? But that only speaks to our ableism. That only speaks to the fact, and I tell people, you notice that Jesus never asked us to fix him. He was perfectly fine with the body that he retained post-resurrection to the extent that even talks about in Revelation that, you know, he stood there as the lamb morally wounded yet standing and it's a play on words to mean that he's still retaining these torturous marks that are mortally wounding yet he's still standing and is is found to be the only one worthy to open the seals right Mm -hmm. so there's tension that he's living in that that's the body that remains eternally Mm -hmm. and yet we we totally reject that And, and i thought well that just speaks to how ableist we are. We don't want to see God that way. We don't want to see, see Jesus that way. And so we, and I use this as an allegory, we tend to fix the holes in his hand and his sides and fill it with other things that we'd much rather want God to represent. Yeah. Except Jesus doesn't ask us to fix him. He just yeah. asks us to have faith, have faith, right? Yes. He doesn't need fixing. So, so what I tell people, this is a part of the new work that I'm working on is that, a a large part of the American Jesus that we've created is one that we create images and songs and theology around an image of God that rejects and repudiates everything that, that white European theology deems as the perfect image of God. Mm-hmm. and so that includes a whole lot of things right but but it just again it only speaks to just how ableist we are that we would even discriminate against jesus because we feel the need to heal him <laughs> and he doesn't ask for that right? <laughs> yeah 
So it's no wonder why we have the same attitudes towards people with disabilities, right? And that's why I talk about heaven being the great escape plan. We don't want to see that. We don't want to be in the presence of that. And so heaven becomes this place where we can escape the realities of disability in this world. And if and, and think about it, if we're going to do that, we're going to have to reconstruct the image of Jesus that fits that perfect body. Mm. Uh, so, so we have a lot of issues, I think, that we don't realize we have that causes the church to be so exclusive of persons with disabilities but for me it goes back to that yeah and and um if i go down that rabbit hole i will keep asking questions so i'm a, i'm gonna stick to my notes because i'm like that so intrigues me um i uh self-control thank you lord <laughs> um and uh let us know when that book's coming out too <laughs> um, um yeah, yeah but all, but also get this book y'all um mm-hmm. while we while we watch and we wait uh <laughs> um no i um i love this can you can you bring us into a little bit of your your story with um a little bit more of your story with disability in the church. You you talk about it in the book. You talk about it. You're so transparent with mm-hmm. you. You talk about your autism um, very openly and freely. And I think for Black people, especially, need to hear that um, because that's that's been a recent development that there are more Black people speaking out about mm-hmm. that. Um, but also about cancer and different things like that. Like there are just more black people being vulnerable in these ways. So just bring us into whatever you feel comfortable sharing about, about that. And then how that affects your relationship with the church, um, and with God. Yeah. It's it's a good question. I opened the book up in the introduction talking about my, own diagnosis and using it as an analogy for the church. When I say that, um, you know, as I was, as I said in the beginning of the podcast, like I would often be very puzzled about social interactions with people that apparently didn't go well. And I was totally oblivious. So, you know, I'm a pretty straightforward person. And so I had to learn that people don't always appreciate you actually being honest and people don't, you know, things that are pretty typical. Of course, everybody, you know, every autistic person is not the same, but it tends to be generally true that most of us, because we don't necessarily, our brains are not wired to necessarily understand things like body language or facial expressions. You know, the old adage, 90% of communication is nonverbal, which, which I don't know if the percentage is that high but it's it's pretty true people say a lot without saying using words well you know most most autistic people we don't get that, that our brains don't translate body language into oh he must mean that or she must mean that by the way they're standing or by the way their face looks or by their gestures or their way their voice goes up and down like that's just not so for me i've always had to live in this world where you just have to be brutally honest like just say what you mean like i don't get innuendo and things like that oh so, yeah yes, yes, yes um you know things like sarcasm um and there's some some ways it, 
I've developed tools to help me. But I, I say that because that was the most challenging part of being in the church, right? Because church is a highly social environment. Um, and there's all these unwritten rules and unwritten expectations, things that people expect from you that they don't actually say, things that people feel about you that they never actually say to your face. And so, you know, growing up and then even going into early adulthood, like I was just under the assumption that everybody was just as honest and forthright as I am. Right. And Ooh, so, and that will eat you up in church. It, it will, because <laughs> I'm like, I don't live in the land of nonverbal communication. Right. I say mm. what I think. I say what I feel. I say what I, I say what I observe. Um, so that's why I said in the beginning of the podcast, I had a really rough road. Uh, even when I felt like I had a call to ministry, like it took me years bouncing around churches because I didn't fit in because one, I'm not that stereotypical pastor who's a raging extrovert who, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just not me, yeah. but everybody, ex everybody ex expects, expects you to be yeah. something that you're not. And so I would constantly be in conflict with people with leadership in the church with congregants because I didn't. I didn't have the ability to demonstrate these things that they thought made a good leader. Um, so, so it took me a while. And when I finally was diagnosed, it, it actually gave me the freedom to say, okay, I understand now. I understand why people see me the way that they see me. I'm not going to change, but at least now I have the language to tell you, you know, this is what you can expect from me. This is how I see the world these are some of the things that might be challenging for you but in the end it just forces us all to be better communicators so for example i would tell people in church because oftentimes my facial expressions don't mirror the environment so people one of the things i hear all the time and still hear is you look angry and so i would tell people well just ask me don't just walk around here assuming because oftentimes i don't know what my facial expression or my body language is saying to you i don't live in that world if I think somebody's mad at me, I just ask them. I don't depend on your face or your body. So what it did is, and this is a word I use a lot, it it eroded suspicion, right? Because, and this is not, you know, the terms neurotypical and neurodivergent. Um, what I tell people is I find that most, most neurotypical people or, or even really most people who are able-bodied live in this constant state of suspicion like they never actually believe what you say right they always think there's some there's another meaning behind that or you're saying something different with your body when i tell people no i say what i mean so you never have to guess with me and i'm just inviting you to be just as honest with me so that we can just get rid of this suspicion and and believe it or not that's that that is a large part of how churches operate people never people really don't actually they're really not honest with each other and they're really not authentic so a lot of times when people say i'm honest and i'm authentic and i'm very transparent and i tell people i i don't know any other way to be because i don't live in a world that is rife with suspicion so i don't live in a world where i don't trust what you're saying because your body's saying something else because my brain doesn't translate body language so i have to trust that when you tell me something you're you mean it and you're being authentic so um 
it's it's definitely been a challenge, but it also has definitely been something I think that has been a benefit to the church. We talk about like gifts, you talk about wisdom that people with disabilities bring is let's actually say what we mean is actually be real. We always say in the church, we want to be authentic and 90% of the people are not, they don't mean what they say. They don't <laughs> trust what you say. And I'm like, well, how are we going to have a community of faith when everybody's suspicious of everybody? Like, I don't, I just don't get that. So we just need to be actually real people and be authentic. Um, and, you know, it took me dang near 15 years to get to that point, but I feel like it's made our church better. And it's made churches that I've come in contact with, with better. Um, so, so yeah, that, that journey, I don't want any of the listeners to think that it's been great like i've had a rough success i'm i'm in a position i'm in now but it has been very challenging you know for a lot of those those reasons but that's also why i'm very open about my own diagnosis i love it i mean i love not like i love the hardness of it i i i love the openness like um and i think stepping out into the light with it is freeing right um who i i have one last question i i would love for to hear your thoughts on thinking about where where you see the possibilities of the church like imaginings of the church especially in light of covid um and in light of the disabled and the um the chronically ill um and i and i ask that especially there are a lot of dejected people um you know thinking about that that new york times article that came out i know the overwhelming feeling from so many including myself was dejection and so many people felt like and voiced to me that I'll never be able to be in a loving congregation again. You know, um, if virtual experience is not an option and that's not even the fullness that we want anyway, right? And right. But could you speak some thoughts on what are your hopes for um, the church? If you, if you're just imagining, what are your thoughts on what is possible? Um, yeah, I, that's a great question. And, and honestly, it depends on the day. Like sometimes I'm very hopeful and sometimes I'm just like, this is a dumpster fire. <laughs> exactly. And I'm, I'm mostly resigned, <laughs> but you're right. It depends on the time of day. And if I be, uh, yeah. <laughs> so I was, I'll share how I feel when I'm most hopeful because there are days honestly where I'm just like this is not working we need to just start over <laughs> thank you for but, that honesty we thank you for your candor um. and, and I say that as a pastor and I say that as somebody who I I love what the church can be which is why I fight so hard for it to be what it should be um so so when I'm at my most hopeful I I see um great voices emerging 
who are slowly but surely getting opportunities to lead these churches because i i say no nothing happens in the church i've learned this i've been pastoring in some capacity for over 20 years nothing happens in the church that's not important to the pastor and the leaders the problem is we don't have enough disabled leaders who are leading the church who are leading voices in in side church culture right mm-hmm. but i am seeing you know as i've done disability ministry conferences and those types of things i am seeing a lot of leaders and so like one of the places i'll say where i've found hope is a conference that i spoke at years ago where i was like maybe one of the few people who's actually speaking at the conference who had a disability i was also the only black person there. <laughs> But years later, I'm now on the committee that chooses the speakers. So I was able to advocate for more persons with actual disabilities and not just quote unquote experts who have degrees in it. And they're fine, but we need people with lived experience. But being on that committee, I'm able to help raise up some of the voices that I'm discovering but then also being put on the board of that EXO organization. Mm. And so my hope is as, as, as we move forward, you'll see more people with disabilities in real positions of leadership in the church who will be able to help make the changes that are necessary. So I'm very hopeful for that because I'm seeing it happen. There are lots of people who are, who are coming up. Um, and social media has actually helped with that mm-hmm. because you can find voices out there who, um, you know, example is I just had the organization I just told you about, I was tweeting about a person's book who was coming out, who's also disabled. And the, the guy who I work with, who's the president of the organization I'm on the board says, that sounds like somebody we need to know. Can you make an introduction? Mm-hmm. So, so they're at least trying to say, okay, you know, the people that we should know who can help us do better, yeah. introduce us to them. Um, so when I'm at my most hopeful, it's because people with disabilities are moving into roles of, m- more people are moving into roles of leadership. And then, like I said, there's days where I'm just like, oh, this is gonna take forever. <laughs> so it's not that I don't see it happening. It's just like, I don't have another 20 years <laughs> to, exactly. to, to wait. Like COVID has exposed us. We need to move fast because, you know, the, the figurative fig leaves have been ripped off the church. And it's kind of like Dr. King, you know, one of his, yes. one of his strategies was to expose what was going on in the South. He wanted mm-hmm. the cameras there. He wanted people to, um, and that's sort of been the trajectory of my ministry is just exposing some of the prejudice and the injustices and saying, this is what you church people are doing to people who are disabled. And I can say that because I'm a pastor and I've been a pastor for a long time and pastors will listen to me because I have the credentials I've been doing this, but, but I'm kind of trying to do what Dr. King said and just swinging the cameras onto the way that people with disabilities are being treated and then saying now to do something about it by putting more people in leadership so that you don't make these mistakes again um and so that's that's where i find hope that that is slowly happening i'm seeing more people step into leadership in in the church and in parachurch organizations and they're they're making slow change yeah 
Yeah, and the only thing I would add to that, that beautiful imagining is I believe that the wisdom that the disabled have to offer the church is being on the underside of power and being underserved mm -hmm. brings a tenderness and a wisdom in the ability to meet Jesus in the by and by, right? And they and people who are underserved and who are not thought of tend to um be able then when raised up know a where equity uh, needs needs to flow, right? They they there is mm -hmm. a wisdom then in the gospel preaching in the gospel um, um, and how to uh, make the gospel work in tangible ways, right? And I think yeah, I agree. Putting you know to your point, putting the disabled in positions of influence isn't just about you know insert disabled faces there mm -hmm. i love your imagining because we know that when those people are raised up that they're not just filling spots um they they bring uh talent with them and uh gospel wisdom with with them so yeah thank you for that hmm. yeah so Amen, amen. So thank you for your time. And um, again, everyone, get this book, <laughs> Disability in the Church. Uh, yeah. It is a good book. And I look forward to this next book now that you've piqued my interest. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're working on it. My, my agent is actually pitching it now to publishers. So we'll see how quickly we get that done. And I'm probably a third of the way done already. So, yeah it's, it's gonna kind of give a companion book it'll take the current book a little bit further hey. um so, so i'm excited about that hey well thank you so much thank you for your time i appreciate you so much Black Coffee and Theology Pod is a production of Three Black Men, the podcast about theology, culture, and the world around us. Follow us on Twitter at Three Black Men. If you like the content that you are receiving here and want to receive more, whether that is in longer conversations, essays, devotions, and videos from either myself, Sam, or Trey, please sign up for for our Patreon at patreon.com slash three black men. Don't forget to like, rate, and review Black Coffee and Theology Pod as well as Three Black Men.